You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. Now we turn uh, to what we've been doing in 1 Kings. Similarly, uh, Jesus being brought to the temple, this is uh, now the completion of the temple. Solomon's dedicated the temple. Now God speaks back. God begins to speak back. We're going to read uh, 1 Kings 9, verses 1 through 9. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children... And do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss, and they will say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. This is the word of the Lord. One hundred years ago, technically 102 years ago, a monumental ratification occurred right here in Blount County. Let me tell you this story. The proposed constitutional amendment to grant women the right to vote needed three-fourths of the states to ratify it. And by July of 1920, 35 of the necessary 36 states at the time had ratified it, but there were only a few states left to vote on it. And it came down to Tennessee. And Tennessee was voting on it that fall, and twice this motion to table the amendment was put on For a vote. Now, the motion to table would have meant like basically they would have not voted on the issue at all. It was a delay tactic. But each time the vote ended in an exact tie, 48 to 48, which meant the motion to table was defeated. And that they would have to vote, the Tennessee legislator would have to vote on this on a straight up or down vote. And then there was this poor old guy named Harry Byrne from Maryville, Tennessee, who had twice voted to table the amendment because he said publicly, which is debatable historically, he said publicly, well, I'm for the women's right to vote, but I think my constituents are against it, which is why I voted to table. And then right before the vote was scheduled, he got a note in the mail in Nashville from his mom from Maryville, Tennessee, urging him to vote. Yay. He went in and he voted. And sure enough, on a one-vote majority... Tennessee passed women's suffrage from this little old guy in Maryville, Tennessee. And then Tennessee became the 36th day, and then the legacy existed forever. You might not have known that women's suffrage came down to a guy in Maryville, Tennessee. 
What I want you to know is that women's, the women's suffrage movement in full force started decades before this, 1840s, 50s, and 60s. The women's suffrage movement had been going for a long time, and millions of Americans thought women should have the right to vote, but it didn't matter until it was ratified. It didn't matter until it was ratified, declared valid. That's what a ratification is, right? A ratification is what makes something valid because it's finally come to completion, and thus the whole community accepts it as this is This is valid for all of us now. Ratification completes something like a marriage vow, seals, and engagement ring. In this passage of God with Solomon, it is God who does the ratification in 1 Kings 9. Because already the presence of God had come to dwell in the temple. We looked at that last night on Christmas Eve, that the presence of God was dwelling in the temple. And Solomon had been praying for most of 1 Kings 8, but God didn't talk back until 1 Kings 9. God ratifies his presence among his people here. So in verses 1 and 2, the setting is provided. This is immediately upon the completion and dedication of the temple. And verse 2 says that God speaks to Solomon a second time. The first time was way back in a dream when Solomon was at Gibeon, where he shouldn't have been, but it was 1 Kings 3. And in a dream, God comes and offers Solomon whatever he wants, and Solomon asks for wisdom. Solomon hadn't heard from the Lord very much, according to this passage And he's been doing a lot of the talking in the prior passage, and finally he hears back from God in a ratification. And what does God say in verse 3? The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. And here's a key verse for Christmas Day. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. God's saying, my presence is going to be there. Now he provides conditions in verses 4 through 9, which was a rather dour part of our passage. He says, look, but you and your descendants are still going to have to, you know, obey me and all this, but otherwise I'll be here forever. Of course, the descendants don't obey, and we'll look at that for the rest of 1 Kings. But what God wants us to see is that I ratify that you want me to be among you, and I'm ratifying it with my presence. Now, if you don't want me to be among you, then I guess I'll go away, which is essentially what verses 4 through 9 are about. But he he is ratifying. You've built this temple, and it can't really contain me, but I still want to be among you. My eyes and my heart will be there forever. Of course, in the person of Jesus, he is there forever. The temple had been planned, built, completed, and even dedicated, but it wasn't ratified until God said so. This desire for ratification is an impulse for us, I think. An impulse for many of us. Sometimes it happens with spiritual doubt. We have these doubts and we say, well, if only God could prove himself to me or show himself to me in a miracle, then I would believe. This is a desire for ratification. This desire for ratification happens in other ways as well. Uh, Think about the thing that you've prayed for. You've got a big decision you've got to make and you've prayed for it. God, be clear to me. Make it clear to me. What should I do? What should I do? And God doesn't really make himself clear sometimes in matters like that. But you have to make a decision anyway. You make the decision and then you just hope it's the right one. And so you often pray for ratification. God, would would you validate this decision I had to make? The desire for ratification also happens when we do wrong or shameful things. And we say things like, I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. This desire for ratification with us is like, I wish God's, the felt power of God's forgiveness was stronger than my own need to forgive myself. That's a desire for ratification, isn't it? The good news here is despite all of that, 
God desires to be near his people. And that's what he ratifies. Whenever his people say, I want you to be near, God ratifies it and says, I want to be near too. Which is what the whole incarnation of Jesus is about. The irony of the Luke passage that we read, Luke 2, verses 22 through 35, is that it's not God who ratifies humans. In this passage, it's actually the humans, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who ratify God. In one sense, sure, God the Son becoming the person Jesus is a further ratification, a permanent reminder that God desires to have his presence among us. But in another sense, this is a an inversion of the Solomonic order that we read in 1 Kings 9, that Solomon got instructions to build the temple, and he completed it, and then it was God who ratified, yes, I want to be in your presence, but then God comes to be born to this peasant family whom almost nobody knows this is God in human flesh, and he comes to the temple, and it's Simeon by the power of the Holy Spirit, which says, ah, yes, I ratify this one. This is the Lord's plan of salvation. That Jesus would come to be ratified instead of to ratify us. This is the pattern of Christ, isn't it? Jesus says in other places, he came not to be the judge. The first time he comes, he comes not to be the judge, but to be judged. He says in another place, he came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came not to ratify, but to be ratified in the giving of his very presence for us and in dying for us. It is our sin, our rebellion against God, perhaps our indifference, or perhaps just the things that we know we should do that we just neglect. Those things ratify Jesus' need to come in our midst and be our salvation. In fact, we do ratify Jesus every time we sin because we ratify our need for him to come for his plan of salvation, to live perfectly and to die for us. We ratify Jesus by saying, yes, this one is the plan of salvation for me. Let's pray. Lord, on this Christmas day, we thank you for Jesus' presence among us, without which we would have no hope. We pray that his eyes and his heart would always, we would always know that they are on us in love and in relationship back to him. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.